Press the red button to record. Press the stop eject button to stop. This is Blank on Blank, distributed by the Public Radio Exchange, PRX.org. I'm David Gerlach. Press the green forward button to play. That voice, poet Allen Ginsberg. Volume control you have for playback. He defined the beat movement. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness. Starving, hysterical, naked. And what we're listening to, it's a rare recording from the summer of 1984. Only a few people have ever gotten to hear it. It was actually found in a box in New York City just a few years ago. And on tape, we hear an intimate audio glimpse inside a decades-old friendship that cancer will soon cut short. Here's the story. Allen Ginsberg loved to record things for posterity, whether it was his poems or his photographs. And he had decided to bring a tape recorder to his old friend, Julian Beck. Beck was back in the hospital, Mount Sinai in Manhattan. His stomach cancer had returned. And the next time the recording begins, we hear Allen Ginsberg at Beck's bedside. Well, in case you want to write a book. Yes. Here's a machine to write it on. Oh, very good. And um, how wonderful! It plugs in, so you, it's yes. got, I put fresh batteries in. I'll show you how to work it. Now I won't say much more as we listen in. The tape stops and starts as the two friends catch up. We hear bursts of hope and resilience. It's just regular conversation about upcoming plans, film, politics, what old friends are up to. It's banter with barely a whiff of mortality in the air. So for this episode of Blank on Blank, it's on the theater of living, and we're dividing it into three acts in honor of Julian Beck, who literally lived a life of drama. He was co-founder of the Living Theater in New York City. Now this was an avant-garde group that brought social issues, politics, and an audience literally to the stage. I name you someone who would free us So here's act one. Really, I'm fine. Julian Beck begins the scene. And I said, gee, this morning I'm not going to use that electric shaver. I'm going to make a nice clean shave. Uh And the cold water and the feeling. And in 10 minutes, I said, I don't want that tube back in. Mm -hmm. I feel good. I feel wonderful. I couldn't believe it. And then all day long yesterday, I became livelier and livelier and livelier and livelier. The swelling has gone down uh, about a third already of what it was. But the swelling was in the peritoneum or something. It was in the whole, the whole abdominal yeah. area here. It was like a basketball. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. They don't know whether to do surgery. They don't know whether to do chemotherapy. Feed me and, and keep me happy and see how it goes for a while. And then, they, of course, they also keep saying to me, uh, if you don't want to do anything, you don't have to do anything. But I just feel myself getting better by the hour. And they've gone through tests after test after test after test, and they've been saying, as you know, this is an invasion or a spreading of cancer, and yet the tests don't 
seriously confirm what they believe. So I'm the mystery man. That's good. And you got a view of Central Park with it, too. And I got a great view of Central Park with it, yes. This brings us to Act Two, back to the movement. Ginsburg picks up a copy of what I can only assume to be the famed Village Voice. It's the voice, yes. Now, Ginsburg's voice, it gets a little muffled here, but he's taking issue with a recent review of one of Beck's plays that the Living Theater has put on. I just think this was correct. A great failed experiment of the century's attempt to make theater part of life continuous one way or the other. That's what Nixon and Reagan are doing. That's, exa- that's, that's exactly <laughs> what they're all saying, right? It's the perfect conservative position. Reagan is well, he's the actor and he's making theater and politics continuous. Everybody's going, yes. It's just, sort of, it's just a, a whose theater you want to go to. So, you know, whose theater do you like? It's not a question of whether or not, because everybody's acting. Yes, surely. That's something I think that. Um, and certainly that was what Abby Hoffman said years ago. We have a right to shout theater at a crowded fire. Mm-hmm. Remember? Sure, yes, yes. And now the final act, Act 3, getting it on tape. And here, Ginsburg returns to the meaning of his gift of this tape recorder. Well, anyway, uh, this yes. is the microphone. This stops it. You got the structure. Oh yeah. Now I have started it. And it's recording. And now it is recording. Now I have nothing more to say, so I press this gray button. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is with that is it's tricky in the sense that uh, I used those till about 1969, and one day I went into the field and wrote this great epic about stars and crickets at night. Yes. I came in the house to transcribe it, and I hadn't pressed the right button. And that was the last time I depended on one of those. I understand that very, very, very well. <laughs> it was so funny. Two or three of the very best talks I ever gave just didn't come out on the tape. Mm-hmm. Some of the worst ones where I fumbled and couldn't follow my own thoughts and are recorded as, as distinctly as... Ginsburg and Beck are together on tape here for another 23 minutes. The phone rings. The stream of visitors continues. Ginsburg talks about an upcoming adventure. Uh-huh. And he and I are going to do a thing on um, peace and uh, meditation and or dharma politics up there. And the next time the recording begins, it's Beck, alone. Sunday morning, June 24th. Awake at dawn. It's 5.30 a.m. And I'm just finding my voice. He's chasing his thoughts on theater, his art, his life. The objective must be a returning to, a facing again of, an embracing again of, our own humanness. He continues freeform for almost an hour, and then the very last line we hear him speak. Attaching us always more firmly to the mistakes 
the mistakes. The mistakes. After that, it's just a tape hissing. Now, as we were putting this piece together, we came across something fitting that Allen Ginsberg once said, quote, poetry is not an expression of the party line. It's that time of night, lying in bed, thinking what you really think, making the private world public. That's what the poet does. Remarkably, Beck did bounce back from this latest stay in the hospital. And for close to a year, he was back working again. After decades focusing on the theater, and avoiding overtures from television and from Hollywood, he hit the screen. He played a ghostly character in Poltergeist 2, and he was a kingpin of sorts. Sonny Crockett and Ricardo Tubbs. On an episode of Miami Vice. Miami Vice. But on September 17, 1985, Julian Beck lost the fight. He died at age 60. Many, many thanks to the Living Theater in New York City for allowing us to bring you this very intimate, intimate lost recording. Be sure to check out livingtheater.org to learn all about their new productions. And a huge thanks as well to Libby Walker and Amy Drozdowska. Um, both of them uh, helped me produce this blank on blank. It was one big puzzle putting this together. Well done, everybody. And for more lost interviews and conversations that you can hear nowhere else, head over to blankonblank.org. Oh, and one more thing. If you're listening to this uh, online uh, or a podcast, please go over to iTunes and uh, rate Blank on Blank, our interviews. Give us a thumbs up. Even better, write a review. Reviews and reactions on iTunes will help more and more people discover our lost interviews. That's all for now. I'm David Gerlach. Keep listening. There's no place in this world where I'll belong when I'm gone. And I won't know the right from the wrong when I'm gone. And you won't find me singing on this song when I'm gone. So I guess I'll have to do it while I'm here. And I won't feel the flowing of the time when I'm gone. All the pleasures of love will not be mine when I'm gone. My pen won't pour a lyric line when I'm gone. So I guess I'll have to do it while I'm here. And I.